Should you um, be so inclined to nod off during the sermon? There you have the gist of it right there from our, from our kids. We're going to continue our re-engage series in the Psalms today. Uh, we are re-engaging amidst a disorienting pandemic uh, our three circles at North Wake, our three circles of relationship, that we would love God, that we would love one another, Christ's church, and that we would love our neighbors. And in the past two weeks, we focused in on Psalms, Psalm 103, Psalm 97, that have encouraged us in our love for God, to re-engage our love for God. Um, today and next Sunday, we'll be looking at two more Psalms that encourage us in how we love and engage, re-engage in church. Um, and Psalm 133 today, Psalm 95, Jake will lead us in that next week. And this is fuel to re-engage in our love for the church. So you can open your Bibles to Psalm 133. And uh, I will pray for us as we do that. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. These are, these are trying and divisive times. Safeguard the beauty of your church and our love for you and one another by your word. Now we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So it is a common thing to say that our country is more divided now than ever. And I ran across an interesting graphic that I'll try to explain to you. There are two vertical lines on this graphic that you're going to see up here. Um, and they trace over time where the median Democrat is and the median Republican is with respect to conservatism on the right and liberalism on the left. And watch how that moves over time. If you can run that through that one more time. There you go. In 1994, we were pretty close. 2004, we were pretty close. 2011, we're farther apart. 2014, we're farther apart. And then in 2017, we completely are apart. It's just a visual representation of what we hear all the time. Civil rights leader whom we celebrated this past week, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., put it this way. He said, when we look at modern man, we have to face the fact that modern man suffers from a kind of poverty of the spirit, which stands in glaring contrast to his scientific and technological abundance. We've learned to fly in the air like birds. We've learned to swim the seas like fish. And yet we haven't learned to walk the earth as brothers and sisters. And that divisive poverty of spirit that Martin Luther King Jr. is talking about is is finding its way into the church. Okay. And honestly, as your pastor, this is one of my great concerns for our church. Um, let me explain to you why this is so, so important. Jesus said, there is a thing by which the world is invited to judge if we are true Christians or not. Okay. In John 13, Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he invites the world to judge whether we're true followers of Jesus by the way we love. There's an inextricably related thing by which Jesus invites the world to judge if he was really sent by God or not. And just a page or two later in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father that we may be one, they may be one even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. See, Jesus is telling us that our entire mission to the world hinges on how well we love one another and the visible unity that results from that love. 
See, this is why the Apostle Paul in so much of the New Testament pleads with the church to be united. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So the, the stakes for us are incredibly high. We simply must protect the unity of the church from the divisiveness that's plaguing our society. You must protect the unity of the church. I must. Together we must treasure and protect the unity of the church. If we can do that, this is our, our church. There's no visible unity across divisive barriers anywhere in our culture except here where politics and race are so, so, so secondary to what unites us. So our psalm today encourages us to re-engage the church and rejoice, rejoice in our unity. So uh, I'd like to read the entire psalm to you as we get started. But first, let me give a nod out to um, one of our profs at Northway, Chip McDaniel. Chip taught an, did an amazing teaching on this subject. I'm going to post it on our leader blog this week. I encourage you to watch it. Um, I will be channeling my inner Chip at points uh, throughout the message. Most of the good stuff I'm teaching comes from Chip McDaniel. So, so Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Okay, that's it. That's the entire psalm. It's just three verses, and it really has just one main message. Unity amongst God's people is totally awesome, right? It's the best thing ever. And uh, let's unfold it a bit and see what King David, who the psalm is ascribed to, has to say to encourage us in delighting in our unity. First thing you'll notice, it is a psalm that's attributed to King David in one way or another. The heading says that it is a song of ascents, or some of your Bible might say it's a pilgrim song. Likely it was sung by pilgrims who were journeying towards Jerusalem to worship God during their great, great national feasts. Right? And as they went, they were united together in the joy of their journey to Jerusalem to worship the one true God together as one people. This is one of the songs they would likely sing on that pilgrimage. Okay. And it starts with a declaration of the goodness of unity. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, brothers is not being used in a, in a gender-exclusive way here. Um, ladies, you're not excluded. Some of your Bibles actually say uh, that it renders it when God's people dwell in unity. That's the idea. Um, this is a statement about the unity of us all, right? And it is good in every way. It's the right thing to do, and it's good for us. 
It's pleasant, it says. Um, the language there is the same language that's used by a lover to describe how his beloved makes him feel in the Song of Solomon. Look at, look at Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 16. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. That's the language. It's delightful. Yes, unity in the church is that pleasant, okay? It's that pleasant. Now, here's what I've consistently observed. There is no pleasantness associated with dividing the church. None. You will find no joy in it. It is a path of frustration and grumpiness. Okay. The, the unity that, that's being described here is a spiritual unity. It's more than just get-along ability, although that's a fruit of it for sure. It is a oneness in faith and hope. As the pilgrims grow up to worship the one true God, they are one together, blessed with that unity. For us, it's our common faith and hope and love in Jesus that overcomes our differences. It just swallows them up. You know, every three years, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship hosts something called the Urbana Student Missions Conference, and as, it's, as it sounds, it's a gathering that challenges university students to consider world missions. And about 16,000 students from around the globe attended that conference in 2009, and after the main session each evening, they would break up into subgroups uh, of students from their countries, respective countries, and uh, meet for prayer and reflection. And in one of the banquet halls, there was one small group that was comprised of Chinese students, and another group of Taiwanese students, and yet another group of students from Hong Kong. Now think about those three groups right next to each other. They inserted dividers in between them so that the students could worship with their own, because historically, these three peoples have harbored bitterness and animosity towards each other, China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. So they felt it was best to pray and worship each with their own people. But as the Chinese students were praying one night, they told their leader they wanted to invite the other countries to join them. And when the Taiwanese students received the invitation, they prayed and sang a little while, and then they opened up the wall that divided them. And it wasn't too much longer before the students from Hong Kong pulled back their divider. And the students from those three divided nations mingled together. One leader said, in Christ, we are all one family. And Christ breaks down political boundaries. The Taiwanese students then asked the students from China and Hong Kong to lead them in worship. And the next night, they invited the Korean and the Japanese groups to join them, nations which also had experienced fierce animosity. And a girl from China said it was a really moving time. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was a good and pleasant time uh, as, as brothers and sisters come together across divisive boundaries as one. David goes on to use two illustrations of the goodness of the unity of God's people in the next two verses. Oil on the one hand and dew on the other. Right? Let's look at them together. It's like the precious, this unity, it's like the precious oil on the head. 
running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. So unity amongst us is like oil. So who knew, right? Um, Are we talking Quaker state here? Since it's precious oil, are we talking like full synthetic oil? Uh, what, What is he talking about? And it seems like the oil that David has in mind here is an oil that was used for anointing. Um, There's a recipe actually given for this oil back in the book of Exodus. Uh, Look at it with me in Exodus 30. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hint of olive oil, and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. So it's more like a perfume uh, than motor oil, is what what we're talking about here. And it was considered extremely sacred. Look again at Exodus 30. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. Okay, this is not your everyday essential oil, right? Um, And you get a sense that this sacred oil, anointing oil, was lavishly applied, right? It runs down the head, onto the beard, even onto the garment itself. We're not talking like a beard like mine. We're talking a beard like this, like Noah's, right? It would run down Noah's hair and Noah's beard onto Noah's garment. We're talking about that much oil. And David has a particular recipient in mind, not Noah, but um, Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother older brother he was the high priest of Israel and this anointing consecrated Aaron it set him apart and made him able to worship God acceptably and so David is saying in the same way unity amongst God people enables us to worship God in a way that's good and pleasing not only to us but to God Jesus would put it this way you heard Kelly And Shanna referred to it. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So unity to Jesus with a brother or sister in Christ is that important. It is a prerequisite to God-pleasing worship. So what that means is that some of us may very well be wasting our time here this morning until we address broken relationships that we have with other Christians. It's that important. Unity, he says, is like that precious oil that renders Aaron's worship pleasing and acceptable to God. Then he says, it's like dew. Look at the last verse in our psalm. Um, 
It's like the dew of Hermon. That's Mount Hermon, not the guy Hermon. Okay? It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So dew in the Old Testament is sometimes used as a symbol of God's blessing and favor that gives life to, to the world that he made. Hosea 14 is a beautiful example. It's, God says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. So the unity that God gives to the pilgrims as they ascend to Jerusalem to worship, it's like that dew on the mountains. It's a life-giving blessing from God. And he's got some specific mountains in view here, right? Mount, Mount Hermon and Mount Zion. Mount Hermon is located far to the north, and it's, it's 9,000 feet tall. It's covered with snow about six months out of the year. Um, dew associated with Mount Hermon, the idea would be it's, it's a heavy dew, right? There's plentiful moisture up there. Just like there was a lavish amount of oil used in the anointing, that would seem to be the idea here. It's, it's a lavish amount of dew. It's a heavy dew, a great blessing. And it pours out on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion looks like a hill. It's a much lower um, and more arid mountain located to the south. It's where Jerusalem would be built. In fact, later on, to say Zion was to say Jerusalem. Now, scholars have all kinds of interesting insights about why David mentioned these two mountains. Why Hermon and Zion? One is their geography. They're, they're more well over 100 miles apart, hundreds of miles apart. Um, in portions of nations that are separated, it could represent unity amongst the nation of, of Israel one, uh, once again. But I think the central idea um, is that should that heavy dew of Hermon fall on Zion, it would be like a lavish blessing from God. Unity is that blessing. And it falls in the place where the worshipers were headed. They were having their pilgrimage to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem. And it's their worship of the one true God that yields such heavy unity. There God commands his blessing, a rich and long life as he is exalted together by God's, all God's people. So in these simple illustrations, unity is both the blessing and what prompts God's blessing. Plus it's what blesses God. Unity is all those things in this simple illustration that's going on here. It really is good and pleasant in every way when God's people dwell in unity. Now, in the psalm, there's a recurring idea. Um, the oil flows down and the dew comes down. Same kind of language is used. And it represents that unity is a blessing that God gives. It comes as his people come together to worship him from God. Um, as something that God gives to his people, it ought to be something that we pray and ask God to give to his people. When you pray for our church, and I hope that you're praying for our church, okay? You should be praying for our church. And one of the things that I'd ask you to pray is pray God's great blessing of unity upon North Wake Church. 
We're desperate for it, right? We're being pressed on it, against it from all sides in our day, right? Pray that God would grant us a unity where husbands forgive wives and wives forgive husbands, where parents are forgiven by wounded children, where gossipy friends are forgiven, where clumsy leaders are forgiven when they fail you, where busy friends are forgiven when they neglect you, where race is not allowed to divide, nor class, where it doesn't matter if you live in the finest home in North Raleigh or a single wide in Pocomoke. It's a place. It's out where I live, okay? where even politics can't divide us, or masks, or a vaccine, or if you're a townie, or a gownie, or a boomer, or a millennial, or a centennial, or whatever tactic our adversary is trying to use to divide us, right? In John 17, Jesus prays in what's called his high priestly prayer five times. He begs the Father for a unity that's greater than all of these divisive identities for us. Five times he prays that. It's a unity that validates that he must be from God if his people are united like this. Where we evidence a love for each other across the dividing lines of our culture. As Thomas Manton put it long ago, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. Or you want to put it more positively, Brooke Westcott says the unity of believers is the conviction of the world. See, there's a sense in which we're already made one together as brothers and sisters as family in Christ and that there's another sense in which we must guard and protect that unity as we walk it out in our relationships. This is why the New Testament is full of so many exhortations and encouragements to unity. Listen to just a few of them. 2 Corinthians. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Romans 15, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The New Testament is littered with this kind of encouragement and exhortation to unity. And it's full of dire warnings for those who divide the church. Did you know that in the New Testament, dividing the church is grounds for church discipline? Listen to what Paul writes in Titus chapter 3. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law for they're unprofitable and worthless as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful he is self-condemned so so our nation is horribly divided these days perhaps more than ever in recent memory, in the almost 30 years that I've been at Northway. Social media seems built to thrive on it. 
ESPN commentators make their living by yelling at each other about sports, right? And if we aren't vigilant, this toxin will find its way into our church. It will find its way in through you, or it will find its way in through me. And even now, it is crouching at the door. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. It's a passage that Ben quoted in his prayer in Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The great apostle Paul says we guard our unity by the way we treat one another with humility and gentleness and patience and love. This safeguards our unity and is worthy of the calling that we are called to be followers of Jesus. Now, let me give you just some practical principles that I hope will be helpful in guarding our unity. And it may be here that I'm going to step on your toes. And if I step on your toes, I'm sorry. But if it's more than me, then you gotta deal with it, right? Okay. So first of all, unity must matter more. It must matter more to us than it does. It must matter more than me therapeutically posting something divisive on social media. It must matter more. It must matter more than me winning the debate, than me making a political point, than me airing a complaint about church leadership on social media instead of talking to church leadership. Unity must matter more. Secondly, I would say, watch your speech. Don't post anything without prior prayer and then conversation with someone you respect if you think it could be divisive. Okay. Pray through the Ephesians 4 grid about it. Is this post an expression of my humility, of gentleness, of patience, of love, of an eagerness to protect unity? If it doesn't make it through that grid, maybe you shouldn't post it. Let me paraphrase the Apostle James in the New Testament. Be quick to listen, slow to post, okay? <laughs> quick to listen, slow to post. So let's talk, okay? I mean, let's talk. Let's talk to one another. Let's talk graciously. If you're frustrated about the way our church is handling politics or the pandemic or race or whatever, let's talk, okay? And let's listen to one another, okay? Facebook posts don't count as talking. Talking with someone is different than talking at someone via social media. Let's talk together. Okay. 
Neither does email as you walk out the door and leave the church count as talking. Let's talk early. When stuff just starts to grate on you, sit down, let's have coffee if we can, or we'll have virtual coffee if we need to. Talk to one of our leaders that you know. Talk and listen, especially listen. It's powerful medicine to protect the unity of our church. I am praying James 1, 19, and 20 every day for my own arrogant soul these days. And that is that I would be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Maybe, maybe you could join me. So let's talk, but more importantly, let's listen. Third, I would say fight through isolation. Satan wants to separate you from the herd. Okay? It's his strategy. And I know many of you are isolated because of the pandemic. Don't give in or give up fighting to connect with the body of Christ. Okay? Come if you can. Watch the videos with as many folks as you feel safe around in your home. Reach out to folks who are even more isolated than you. If you're isolated due to the pandemic, you can still reach out to others. You should try it. There's joy for you there. And the rest of us must reach out to those who are in isolation from us. I wonder, is there someone that you haven't seen in a while? You, you know, you just think, well, I haven't seen so-and-so in like 10 months, right? How about this week you just reach out to them? Say, I was thinking of you. Hi, how you doing? Been missing you. Haven't seen you. Fight through isolation. It's, a, it's, it's one of the devil's great strategies against the church. And lastly, I would say check your core allegiance. Um, so unity comes in Psalm 133 when God's people journey to Mount Zion together to worship him, the one true God, supremely. That's where they taste unity. So our unity revolves around our wholehearted love for God. Has your supreme love and fidelity to Jesus caused you to be intentionally out of sync with your political party in recent days? I don't care which party you're part of, it probably should have. Or is it the other way around? Has your political affiliation caused you to be out of sync with your supreme love and fidelity to Jesus? That's the pressure. That's the strategy that's being played against us. Right? Is your love and devotion to Jesus flourishing these days? It must if we're to protect the unity of Christ. See, that's the source for humble Love and unity for others is that we receive the blessing of unity as, and the humble love of Christ from him. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like lavish, anointing, sacred oil flowing down. It's like dew, heavy dew, on the mountains. Let me invite you, bow with me in prayer. And then the worship team's gonna lead us in Psalm 133 in song as part of that prayer. So bow with me, please. Father, once again, 
I have to begin. Confessing my own sin. My tendency to be sharp-tongued and judgmental and divisive. Not kind. Not gentle. Not self-controlled. Not loving. All of which are fruits of your spirit. Lord, have mercy upon me. For I have sinned greatly in these matters. And Lord, for us all, um, the pressure is to divide. And oh Lord, how beautiful will the bride be if Democrat and Republican and black and white and brown and rich and poor and old and young worship here in glad, overwhelming unity as we fall at at the foot of the cross together and worship the one who died for us there. Lord, grant us that. Grant us wisdom as we speak and as we do post, as we do as we must and should enter into politics. Help us, Lord. Help us, we pray.